Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we try to make sense of the beguiling new planet we find ourselves on. And greetings from Bavaria. I'm having a great time with, with the kids. Uh, Samuel thumped me at risk. I barely beat him at basketball to maintain my father's status. Matilda and I have had great talks about literature and the things that matter. And uh, I'm taking a break out because today there are three big interviews uh, for the book. Uh, we do the Salem Television Network and two others today, one other tomorrow. So that's four in two days. We're just cranking up the PR machine. I'll let you know how they go. But I'm doing this and then immediately pivoting to go downstairs in the basement of the Hotel Mittemeyer, a fantastic Alpine hotel here in Rotenburg. Uh, Christian Mittemeyer is a good friend, an old friend of mine. And I always stay here, and I love it. I love staying here. And the breakfast is fantastic. The service impeccable. And it's just down the street from the kids. So it's a great thing to do. And best of all, they have a business lounge where I can do my interviews. But ahead of that, I wanted to talk about Donald Trump's controversial comments. What other kind of comments does he make about NATO? But before doing so, we have to take a step back and looking at what European lotus eaters, what am I talking about? This is my classics degree. Of course, the Lotus Eaters come from the Odyssey, where Odysseus washes up and sees these group of people who eat the lotus flower and are dreamy and forgetful. And what the Europeans have forgotten for three uh, generations now is history. And we've infantilized them to some extent. It's our fault uh, in the United States. Remember, as we say in The Last Best Hope, uh, which is, of course, what all this PR is about, in The Last Best Hope, the key is what are we going to do about NATO. And the original purpose of NATO, the thinking was, in the aftermath of the war, we're not worried immediately about the Soviets coming across the Fulda Gap. We're worried about the political realities internally in Italy and France, and we don't want the communists to take them over. And so to take care of security concerns vis-a-vis -vis the Soviets and internal subversion, let's bind together Western Europe with the United States. Let's give them a security guarantee, which up to then the United States, as you know, had never done. Let's do that. But at the same time, let's transition. This will be a transition. There'll be a nuclear guarantee for Europe, which will keep the Soviets honest. But over a 10-year period, um, remember the Treaty of Washington's in 1949, Eisenhower's saying within a 10-year period, Europe, given that it's going to get back on its feet economically, can take advantage, you know, can get back going and, and can take over the day-to-day -day workings of strategic thinking in Europe in terms of manpower, in terms of having either a European army, which was posited at the time, or individual national armies. And in this 10 years, the United States will put troops in Europe and give the Europeans time to economically and socially get back on their feet. Then they can mine the, the, the candy store. We'll give them a security guarantee so there's no problem, ultimately existentially with the Russians. But they will do the lion's share of managing their own security. And we're still waiting for Godot. People who talk about NATO being sacrosanct forget this was the strategic rationale from an American point of view. And since Eisenhower, we're waiting for Godot. And like the great Beckett play, he never shows up. And so we have waited since, say, 1949, so say 1950. We've waited for the last 75 years, and Europe still isn't prepared to stand on its own feet. And to give you an idea of how egregious this has become, note that you're, if you add up the economy of Europe as a whole, it's five times that of the Russians, and yet they can't defend themselves from the Russians. They're lotus eaters indeed. They are forgetful, 
idle, dreamy, and much as they hate the United States, count on the United States to save them. I'm, I'm often quoting here, I often feel like Colonel Jessup in the great um, Aaron Sorkin written A Few Good Men. You know, you despise me from the safety of a French cafe, but I give you the very freedom you use to despise me with. And this is the infantilization of, of the European elites. I mean, even today, I'm, I'm look on my Twitter, I try not to because Twitter is infantilized on its own and makes for sound bites where th thinking is needed. But Wolfgang Ischinger, a, a grand old man in the German kind of strategic community, said something to the effect of, if the United States doesn't fund the Ukraine war, you know, maybe we're not going to, Europeans aren't going to trust America to run NATO anymore. Look, big guy, we're not trying out to be your defender. Things have gotten to the point that you think I have to try out to be your defender. That's lunacy. I blame us for deluding you into an infantilized state. Europeans too often have this passive view of security. They watch it like they would a movie. I like it. I don't like it, but it's as though they have no stake in their own security. We cannot care more about European security than the Europeans do. This is particularly too true geostrategically now. As you know, I think the Indo-Pacific is the overwhelmingly primary area of interest for the United States in the world. The only peer superpower competitor to the United States is China. And this is the part of the world with the greatest economic growth rates. Europe's flatlining at zero. Their growth rate, sclerotic, puts it kindly. On the other hand, Asia is booming. It has all the future economic growth and all the future political risk in the world, which is why my firm spends about 70% of our time worrying about the Indo-Pacific and not Europe. The Europeans can't even defend themselves despite all being first world economies and having the Russians. And this man, Ischinger, dares to say the Europeans might lose faith in us if we don't help them fight a tertiary war with Ukraine. That's how bad things have gotten. There's a lot to blame them about, a lot to laugh at them. I've been to meeting after meeting for my sins of my adult life where Europeans say, oh, we promise to do better. And like Lucy putting the, pulling the football away from Charlie Brown, we do the whole thing again the next year and nothing, nothing has changed. As of 2022, according to NATO, NATO reported that only seven of the 31 NATO member countries we're meeting the 2% defense obligation. Let's be clear, 2% is a totemic number, but it's also the floor and not the ceiling. It's the bottom end number, and only 7 of 31 were doing so in 2022. Ironically, this is up from only 3 of the 31 doing so in 2014. Well and truly, Europe's, Europe's elites are lotus eaters, and we have infantilized them. And into this context, Donald Trump has waited, saying um, at, at, an, at an election stop in South Carolina that he would encourage the Russians to attack NATO countries if they didn't meet their defense spending commitments. Uh, he claimed that he would not protect delinquent members of NATO um, in his strongest criticism yet of NATO. Biden described his remarks as appalling and unhinged. Well, let's give them some context. Selena Zito, who is a very thoughtful writer about the Jacksonian base of the Republican Party, which is indeed what The Last Best Hope is aimed at. It wants to be the realist handbook for the Jacksonian base of the party. She said a very interesting thing about Trump early on. And when people were saying, well, he exaggerates, he's unhinged. And she said, most politicians, when they speak, 
the voters look at them and they take them literally but not seriously. With Trump, they take him seriously but not literally. What did she mean by this? That most political elites talk about things like global warming, which in the last American poll, only 3% of people thought was the most important issue. And like John Kerry, they devote their life to this faux religion when most Americans find this a weird first world problem if you care if islands disappear in Micronesia, but don't care about the cost of living crisis or say the opioid crisis in America, which killed 120,000 people last year, far more than died in Vietnam, which is 58,000, 59,000. And so they mean what they say, uh, specifically, um, literally, but they're, but they're not taken seriously, whereas Trump is taken seriously, but is not taken literally. What does Trump mean when he's saying he encourages Russia to attack NATO countries if they don't mean their defense commitments, and he claimed he would not protect delinquent members of the alliance? Um, this is a great example of the Zito quote. Nobody thinks he means this specifically. No one who follows him thinks this. What they do think is that Trump has put his finger on the nonsense, on the shibboleths, the sacred cows that elites have, and NATO is one of them. I've been a NATO man my whole life, but only if the alliance furthers American interests. Ironically, NATO is a dividing line for the three schools of thought, really, that run the United States, or used to be part, at least, of the Republican Party. Neoconservatives who wanted to export democracy saw NATO as a democratic club that could help them do that. So they liked it. Wilsonians like NATO because they think it is the muscle behind the international community. Notice I'm not using the words American national interests. Realists such as myself think NATO matters, but only conditionally, as is true of all alliances, as you know from my book, if it serves American national interests, not those of Slovenia or Slovakia primarily. If they benefit as a result, that's great, but that's only secondary, that America shouldn't do anything that doesn't serve its specific, limited national interests, certainly not enter into an alliance. And if you have an alliance where only three of 20, 31 countries in 2014 are meeting the pathetically minuscule 2% standard while Europeans load a seat, criticizing the Americans from the safety of a French cafe, and even now after Donald Trump threatening them and the number going up, his threats actually led to some success, the number only went up to 70, 7 out of 31 countries. That's the point he's making. And here, undoubtedly, Trump has a point. It's in line with Eisenhower that setting up troops on the ground in NATO, American troops, is just a stopgap until the Europeans get themselves together. And if you read the, the notes about the Treaty of Washington and the debates of the time, as I had to for the book historically, this is crystal, crystal clear. And Trump here is on the side of history. He's absolutely correct. Also, the standards of NATO um, that, that have been met only work when they've been threatened. Obama and Secretary Robert Gates said very similar things, but very politely. And guess what? Nothing happened. It took Trump kicking in the door to make the Europeans spend even a little bit more, and it's still nowhere near enough. And let's call out who we mean. Let's look at the great powers, great European powers, and who's spending what. I think that that breaks it down in a, in a much better way. According to NATO in 2023, in terms of defense expenditure, the U.S. will spend 3.5% of GDP, the U.K. 2.1%, and France 1.9%. Well, all of these are acceptable. The French are at 1.9%. That's easily bumped to 2. UK's at 2.1. Sundance to our Butch Cassidy. The Anglosphere, they'll come out fighting with us, bicker though we do. 
And with the U.S. at 3.5, those are all fine. So who are the Poland again? 3.9, very strong number. So who are the laggards here? Let's call them out. Germany, Italy, and Spain. Spain spends a laughable 1.3%, Italy a laughable 1.5%, and Germany a laughable 1.6%. And this has gone on not for a year. This is not a statistical anomaly, but in the case of Germany, since they started taking their holiday from history after the end of the Cold War, so what? For 30 years now, outrageous that a German member of the German elite isn't begging for my forgiveness, but instead is demanding that we somehow do Ukraine so that he can then deign to think that we're worthy to protect him. That's how messed up things have gotten psychologically. So again, Trump, no one takes him literally, but people take him seriously, is right about this lengthy, generations-long holiday from history that the Europeans have taken and that the Americans have allowed them to take. You know, we've enabled them. We've infantilized them. No more. Why? Because the world has changed. The geostrategy of the world has changed. Nobody's serious, meaning out go the neocons and out go the Wilsonians, think Vladimir Putin can take over anything beyond the Dnieper River, even if America were with to fully withdraw funding immediately, which of course it's not going to do. You, funding isn't a faucet you turn off or a light switch you turn on and off. It would be tapered down. But even if it were, which can't be done, Beyond the Dnieper River, he can't get anywhere. So he's not going the Dnipro River. So he's not going to take Kiev, certainly not Western Ukraine, certainly not the Baltics, this fantasy view that somehow Russia, which can't even control Eastern Ukraine, is going to march into Milan, Paris, Berlin, Spain. This is a joke. This is a, a ghost story for children to keep us engaged as though they were some sort of Hitlerian power. Power is the result of intention and capability. I don't care what Putin's intentions are when I see his puny capability. And goodness knows the Ukraine war has pointed out the failings of the Russian army. It's not rolling on to Berlin anytime soon. So that's out the window. So this is a matter of American national interest. We need Europe if NATO is going to be sustained, and I want it to be sustained. And Trump here, as he did over China, becoming the new Pierce competitor superpower, he was right about that. Over us not fighting stupid wars in the Middle East, he was right about that. Again, people take him seriously, if not literally. And all these big strategic questions, he's been instinctively on the money. Would I like that his language were clearer about this? Sure, but I understand that he's appealing to a beyond frustrated American community, the base of the Republican Party, that is sick of pay paying for French people to hate us from the safety of a Parisian cafe. What is in our interest? They have to finish the job now that Eisenhower set for them back in the late 1940s and with five times the wherewithal of the Russians take over primary responsibility for their own defense with us playing an important but supportive role. They have to deal with North Africa in a more meaningful way, dealing with migration, which is an issue they haven't begun to deal with. They have no notion in Europe of assimilation and they need to get one fast. They have to deal with the Balkans so they don't blow up. And yes, they have to deal with Vladimir Putin in line with us, but us playing a supportive but secondary role while we go deal with the Indo-Pacific, which is where most of the world's risk and most of the world's, world's reward will be located in one area. That's why this is vital. 
for the future of the United States. If Europe can take over security as it should have in 1959 in its own backyard, finally, they're not going to find any arguments about the continuation of NATO, the American Article 5 guarantee, and us maintaining an alliance. But they have to make it worth America's while. Not making it worth their while and arrogantly telling me how self-evident it is I defend people who don't much like me from the safety of their cafe is no longer good enough. When we have a $34 trillion deficit, an economic system on the edge with cost of living crises, an opioid crisis, an education system in ruins, that money can be better spent at home in terms of our own security than spent for ungrateful foreigners who for 60 years haven't paid their own way. There, I have been more specific, less Trump-like, but again, he's taken seriously, if not literally. Literally now, that's what I've said. If the Europeans can take general control of their own defense, deal with their near abroad, North Africa, the Balkans, and Russia, with us still involved, but playing a secondary, important, if supporting role, and we can go off to the Indo-Pacific and deal with the threat from China, then NATO makes perfect sense. Meaning, as always for realists, it depends. It depends on what others do. But 1.6 from Germany, 1.5 from Italy, and 1.3 from Spain, after decades of exactly that, doesn't pass the laugh test. Ischinger has it exactly backward. Europe, you have to explain to me why it's in America's interest to work with you. We are the superpower. This is about power. We are the superpower. You are not. You are a great power. If you want to work with us, certainly politically, it has to be in our interests. I remember saying to Europeans for years and years and years, there'll be a populist from the left or the right who reads the same numbers that I do and comes to the same conclusion. I didn't know there'd be two of them at the same time, that Donald Trump and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. have come to the same conclusion, that Europe, European lotus eaters have been lulled into falling asleep, haven't dealt with history, have been infantilized, and it's time they wake up quickly with an almighty bang and deal with these numbers, radically up their defense spending, radically take over genuine control of their own agency and destiny while working with America in an alliance. If they're to secure, if they're not to do that, as I said 20 years ago in one of my oldest and best political risk calls, then NATO will be a shrug of the shoulders. The United States, you know, the, the famous joke Tom Hanks said that people in Hollywood talk like hippies but act like gangsters. We will be pragmatic. Our country is pragmatic. And we will simply shrug our shoulders and go on our merry way. And that is the warning that Donald Trump is flashing. He should be taken seriously, if not literally, because at last the political risk bill has come due for European lotus eaters. Thank you very much. Happy to get that off my chest as I head downstairs to start the tour for The Last Best Hope. Please do tell everyone to go buy the book. We're off to a great start, and the PR campaign ramps up with the Salem TV gig, a live one today, two taped ones today, and one tomorrow. So we have four in the next two days, and off and running we go. Please do tell everyone to go online, buy The Last Best Hope. It's available on Amazon everywhere. So many of you have subscribed. Please do so and give us just the $70, which keeps me in coffee at the Hotel Mittemeyer, which is a wonderful place. If you're ever coming to Southern Bavaria, come here. All right, everyone. Take care and on to the next.